Welcome to Fick Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence Fick Research Team. Hello and Happy New Year to everyone, and uh, welcome again to the State of Distress Debt edition of the Fick Focus podcast series. That's Fick for Fixed Income Currency and Commodities. Here we're going to be uh, focused more on the fixed income portion, obviously because it's distressed debt, uh, and we're going to be focusing uh, predominantly on U.S. stress, distressed, and bankruptcy. I, uh, as ever, am your host Noel Hebert, and joining me is Senior Distressed Credit Analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence, Phil Brendel. And today is January 6th, and as noted, the year is 2022. Let's go ahead and uh, maybe jump right in. You know, December, kind of an interesting month all around the high yield sphere and certainly down in the distress space after somewhat of a sloppy November uh, bounced right back over the course of last month. So, Phil, you know, certainly a good month in high yield overall, uh, finished close to the highs uh, in terms of total returns for the year, uh, with the exception of a little slippage in the last day or two. Uh, talk to me about distress. What do we get out of, uh, you know, the, the worst of uh, the speculative grade market uh, in the closing part of the year? Happy New Year, Noel. Uh, yeah, no, distressed. Uh, and, you know, we, we're, we've been very focused on seasonals for the past year, and the seasonals uh, ran true in December. Um, we were up 1.2%. Uh, and on average, over the past 25 years, December's turned in 1.8%. And what you saw was, uh, you know, the distress ratio was 1.9%, which was right near the lows of the year. Uh, that's about $29 billion of high-yield bonds on the uh, ICE B of A ML high-yield index, uh, which is about $1.5 trillion. So um, we continue, and, and you know, as we look forward, um, March is the only negative month on average over the past 25 years through May. So distress has a nice positive upswing uh, in, in the beginning of the year, and so, and also, we are only 18 months from when our technical long signal came on where we, we followed distress supply and, and we look for that big spike and then it comes off that big spike and we see long uh, credit rallies follow and the distressed ratio or distress supply just kind of uh, hangs out around the bottom, but finally puts in a bottom between 22 to 45 months after that signal goes off and we're only 18 months in. So I guess, you know, we view it as from strictly technical momentum readings that we're going to just kind of coast through this first quarter. Um, of course, that's ignoring all fundamentals. So, you know, <laughs> I always like to have that overlay because, uh, you know, my background is more fundamental. So, you know, it, it, it's hard for me to just, you know, kind well, of lean on me. technicals. Well, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, listen, I think, you know, January historically is critically, you know, generally a, a reasonably strong month for particularly lower quality assets. So this year, I mean, I guess maybe less of an issue for distressed uh, in particular. But one of the things that I think, you know, at least on the high yield side that I think was notable is obviously we've got this sort of tightening monetary policy backdrop, which is certainly, you know, rankling uh, the investment grade 
market. And because of where we entered in the broader high yield terms in terms of both yield and spread, both near historic lows, right, that sort of, you know, higher rate backdrop is problematic for the broader asset classes. So is that uh, because distress by its nature is obviously much higher spread? Is that just not nearly as problematic because of the, the carry characteristics of your asset class? Do we not worry about, you know, tighter monetary policy and those sorts of things there? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point because I, I use the distress supply to tell me about credit in general, um, you know, because you're looking at, you know, what population of real, because what happens is high yield investors, as they get more desperate, they reach for these distressed names on the, you know, on the hope that, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be able to outperform, um, you know, and to the extent that we're really not tied to the treasury rate nearly as much as uh, investment grade and certain, and, and not high yield, high yield, you know, high yield, you could argue is a lot I guess it tied a little closer to the treasury rate than it was uh, in most periods in the past. Um, yeah, for a four handle on your coupon, will do that, right? <laughs> so, I mean, it's, I mean, the like the carry composition of high yield these days is much more like traditional investment grade, uh, you know, certainly not high yield. So it's kind of, it's definitely interesting there. But. Right. So, so, so I see with our population group that the names that are in here, if things turn and, you know, with with the names that are in distress, generally speaking, a good economy will help you trade closer to the Treasury curve. You know, like you'll the idea for the ideal distress bond goes into high yield next. Right. Or, you know, it, it's it's just a on the run high yield name. And so to the extent that uh, that rate is backing up itself, that could diminish performance. Um but generally speaking, a strong economy, you know, in general is going to help most distressed names because a lot of these names are, although, you know, right now, I think you're looking at India's syncretic list. Uh, uh, you know, the, if you look at the top names for deep distressed, you've got Diamond and Revlon, Diamond Sports being, you know, part of SBGI. And that's that's an interesting situation. Sinclair Broadcasting, just for people who don't know, right, right. <laughs> you know the ticker. Exactly. Sarah yeah. Simmons and, and Talon Energy are all kind of deep distressed names. And uh, Right. But, but a fair amount of the index is also energy, right? Because you get your Transoceans and your PBF Energies and those sorts of folks. And you get WTI at, you know, pushing on $80 a barrel, uh, you know, as we speak. So, I mean, it's certainly from a, you know, in terms of if you're just looking at sort of the market weighting of the index, I mean, you do have, you know, that structural support energy tends to be a big driver for at least these days for lower quality, whether it's distressed or triple C's. So, you know, to your point, you know, the idiosyncratic risk is definitely real because you had Diamond Sports with a pretty spectacular month in December in terms of excess returns after what well, was a pretty miserable year. So the question is, is that just people saying, okay, it's almost the new year. I want to put some risk capital to work. Let's take a flyer. Or is that, you know, a huge rally sort of justified uh, by something that's going to be going on there or that people think might go on. I know you've talked periodically about Sinclair maybe taking advantage of, you know, the pricing and sort of the market environment to maybe sort of push through an exchange or something like that. Uh, and I don't know that we necessarily have them on the dock today, but is that still sort of the, the game plan there, you think? Yeah, I, I still think we're going to see an exchange come uh, forward at some point soon. 
And I, you know, I, I also think that it will be extremely coercive. And I think the prices that you see, uh, you know, you've got close to $8 billion of debt here. And the unsecured notes are trading in the 20s. And uh, the secured notes, the first lien debt is trading right around 50. So you've got uh, really significant discounts for, you know, a company that had over $400 million of cash and is also current on all its coupons and and, you know, during investment calls, you don't hear nary a word of Sinclair saying, oh, yeah, we might go into the grace. I mean, no one says we're going to go into our grace period, but, you know, there, there's no you, you don't well, maybe, really. Maybe a couple of uh, Chinese property developers, but uh, beyond that. Not yeah. So much. Yeah. So so it's uh, it's it's definitely one that's going to be interesting. I, I expect we're going to see. I'm 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 sort of waiting for something to drop so that we can really start analyzing this in more detail uh, and, yeah, and mean, get a sense seem, of direction. Yeah, I mean, it would seem certainly at those price levels that the market is sort of ready for that, right? I mean, that's you know, it, and obviously it's been a little while since I've been sort of firmly in the trenches of that universe, but it always seemed like right before you got something that sort of fifty twenty secured unsecured was was sort of the right level. Uh, for stuff to happen. Um, yeah, so you, you, you don't trade in the 20s if you're actually paying a coupon, you know, for very long. <laughs> yeah, well, certainly not the coupon that they're paying, right? right. I mean, you don't need a, too much uh, accrual there to even just make up uh, your price. But all right. So, you know, so interesting year, but first quarter should be relatively tame, I think is sort of the takeaway here in terms of the distressed marketplace uh, and not really roiled by all the goings on in the marketplace. And, and the fact that markets, more broadly speaking, seem pretty tolerant of sort of this latest wave of COVID and everything else like that. You know, so so maybe that's the case. Maybe let's move into sort of other specific names, uh, I guess, you know, like Intel Sat. I think that's one where we maybe got a little bit of closure or a little bit closer to closure there. What's the what's the latest in that situation? We did. And, you know, I, I always find it interesting to see how these debtors uh, and, you know, wrap things up as as they enter their confirmation uh, hearings. And uh, what we saw was right ahead of the confirmation hearing, uh, we saw some adjournments on a day by day basis. So they basically pushed it to the next day and then the next day. And that sort of spoke towards they've got some sort of settlement. And sure enough, they did. They settled with. It sounds like my son when I ask him to do chores. <laughs> exactly. And uh, and so they they settled with uh, SES, uh, which is, uh, you know, um, one of their partners in the C-Band Alliance. And SES is alleging and still alleging that, you know, they owed them half the proceeds, not the pro rata split that the FCC dictated uh, on whatever basis that the FCC did there. But um, so that litigation is still going on, but they capped what that number can be. And, you know, and they settled that part, uh, you know, they weren't going to object to the plan. So the plan confirmation process got easier. However, outstanding was still objections from convertible note holders who said, you know the four point billion, four point nine billion of uh, proceeds from the, uh, you know the C band spectrum auction, uh, you know from the FCC and accelerated uh, relocation payment 
that belongs at the very ultimate parent. And those arguments were made. And this was a long hearing, you know, at least 10 days. And finally, on the eve of uh, ahead of closing arguments, um, they settled as well. And for a mere $25 million, uh, which they actually got also from another settlement they made with uh, first lien secured note holders on make whole payments on a make whole settlement. So you just saw that like the debtors, they held fast on a number of the, you know, we don't know where the bid and offers were and how they came in and such, but, you know, ultimately they were, all these deals were, uh, you know, done at, I, I would, I would put them at attractive levels for the debtors, especially in light of, you know, the almost $400 million of professional fees that uh, the company has uh, expended on like five independent boards and five credit committees, and, <laughs> you know. So, so what's, what's left in this one then? I mean, it, it sounds like we're, we're kind of close to wrapped or, or what, what's left to do before we reintroduce them to the world? Well, that's that. That's the fun part. Is uh, the, the the high yield uh, market and the syndicated loan market will be seeing a lot of this paper as um, <laughs> they will be. Uh, they're they're going to be uh, you know they're they're going to be coming through for a little over seven billion dollars of secured secured debt, and they'll probably be launching sometime if if they haven't launched already sometime soon. All right. So that's I mean so an interesting one, and certainly we'll keep the. Uh... You know, I hope they don't come with too, too much. I mean, it might disrupt my supply forecast for the year for the <laughs> market, uh, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's uh, turn to another oldie but goodie and obviously, you know, out for a while now, but still some sort of residual pieces that have kind of lingered in the marketplace, that being predominantly the make whole uh, settlement. And that would, of course, mean Hertz. What is uh, I understand that maybe we've uh, done a little bit there. Hertz was Hertz was fun. Uh, at the end of December, we heard from Judge Walrath, who heard oral argument um, on the make whole and post petition interests. Now, recall here, this is a solvent debtor. Shareholders got paid here. Uh, the the and so what note holders who didn't collect a a, a bit of interest for the uh, I guess it's about a year that they were in bankruptcy. Um, they they were uh, they didn't collect their contract interest rate they and and so one of the one of the big things with bankruptcy is if you are a solvent debtor you do have to pay some post petition interest however the rate at which you have to pay post petition interest is is uh, it varies um, and and so Judge Walrath's decision which is consistent with a decision she made in Washington Mutual. Is that the the federal judgment rate is the rate that makes the most sense? And uh, you know because if you're, you know, I'm an and, and just for for people that maybe are less familiar sort sure. of with how that structure works, right? That's that's generally a less juicy rate. Yes, uh, I can give you the exact <laughs> number in this case it, because it's tied to the one year treasury rate. It's 15 basis points for this case, um, and so that's what they were paid 15 basis points for. You know, I, all of these uh, bonds, it was about $2.7 billion of bonds, and they got paid 15 basis points. Uh, that's a 1-5, not a 5-0. And, <laughs> and, and, so, and so, you know, and, and, and the blended interest rate otherwise was, you know, somewhere between 6 and 7%. And so uh, they went after uh, 
Hertz for the balance. And um, they also went for at Hertz for a make call. Uh, and uh, that was a split decision. I'll get into that uh, later. But um, on the post-petition interest, uh, you know, I, I think it was pretty clear. Walrath, uh, you know, and, and what's interesting is we just heard from Ultra Petroleum in the Southern District of Texas from Judge Isger, where he awarded contract interest. So you actually have a circuit split here. Um, but Judge Walrath said uh, that, you know, one, one of the things here was, too, is that the note holders uh, didn't get a vote in the Hertz bankruptcy. They were considered unimpaired. And the concept being, if you're unimpaired, then all of your equitable rights should remain the same. And the argument was, well, how can it be equitable if we have contracts that say we're going to get paid between 6 and 7% and you're only paying us 15 basis points for over a year on $2.7 billion? And, you know, the the the, the, the one thing that's pretty clear is that the uh, the code, one of the things that Judge Walrath said is, that, well, first off, the the plan did not impair these notes. Um, it's it's basically the bankruptcy code that says unsecured note holders do not get interest. And then to the extent that the solvent debtor exception provides them post-petition interest, it does not, they do in her view, they don't have an equitable right to get, um, you know, that contract interest. It, 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 so, so what's it, so is this now done and dusted or what's the path forward here for, for the creditors? Is there any sort of residual course they could take? Sure. They, they, and they could appeal to the, uh, you know, the third circuit court of appeals and, um, you know, if, and there's actually the fifth circuit court of appeals is considering, um, in particular, this whole in ultra because they're 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 actually seeing that appeal, and they're they're evaluating to some extent the same issue whether um, you know this unmatured interest you know what what is it actually you know because that's an explicit exclusion in the bankruptcy code that you can't get paid unmatured interest and so it's it's going to be interesting um, you know for Hertz specifically um, with. This decision, uh, you know, there was a $272 million potential claim there. Um, and with this decision, you wiped out about $136 million. And that was partly through about $125 million through the post-petition interest. And the other, um, you know, $12 million was from a uh, the make-all arguments that were made for uh, some notes that... Uh, didn't really even survive the indenture. It was a pretty weak argument uh, for the, and the notes, those notes were the 2022 and 2024 notes. And then on the other part of the May call, uh, she actually asked for factual, um, you know, she's interested in learning the facts to really determine if this May call premium is unmatured interest or isn't. And, uh, you know, she says that's, she needs more evidence, factual evidence in order to make that decision. So, right. so not all hope is lost, but let's uh, hope them before maybe. <laughs> right. And one of the things we wrote about, and I think this is interesting, is that um, if you're a secured note holder and you have collateral, and the collateral can be as simple as the equity of your guarantor, um, the rules are different for um, secured 
note holders. They, you know, there's specific parts in the bankruptcy code that you can point to that entitle you to interest at the contract rate. So with a simple, so I, if, if this decision stands and, you know, and through the appellate level, um, you could see note holders really pushing for some sort of form of collateral so that they can, you know, and, and that collateral, you know, being equity that would, for instance, in Hertz Corp, if, if these note holders actually were secured by the, the actual stock of Hertz Corp, then I think this would be a much tougher argument to make. Um, so it, it, it'll be interesting to see. Also, uh, you know, from a debtor's, from the other perspective, um, if I'm a debtor and I have a lot of unsecured high coupon debt that, you know, and I'm looking for a free loan for a couple of years, this might be, Delaware might be a good place to go and file for bankruptcy. (laughs) (laughs) Especially when the federal judgment rates 15 basis points. But, you know, I I should point out, you know, all joking aside, is that these are really unusual circumstances. I mean, you're not often getting post-petition interest because your company is... Yeah, well, there's not a lot of solvent debtors out there, right? And even Hertz, when it filed, right? I mean, it was sort of... It was the last thing in anyone's mind, especially A very sort of (laughs) unusual conflation of events that sort of... Uh, allowed it to sort of be what it became. So maybe moving on, uh, you know, very excited. Uh, and, you know, with the new year, we bring many gifts to many people. Uh, one is a new bankruptcy. <laughs> I, I, I can't remember the last time I've said those words, but here we are. We've got one. Who are they and what do they do? Well, in December, we've, we we saw a big bankruptcy. Um, it, it's it's it might be off the radar screen for a lot of investors because a lot of the debt isn't traded publicly. But it's a Nordic Aviation Capital, and it was founded in 1990 um, by uh, 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 so in Denmark, and um, <laughs> and they have 6.3 billion dollars of debt. Um, you know when things. And what they is do this is primarily like an aircraft lesser. Or yes, is that, it, is that sort of business? Yep. Yes, it's a it's a regional aircraft lesser. It's actually one of the uh, you know one of the largest in the world as far as like regional jets go. Um, it's turboprops and regional jets and oh, uh, uh, good old turboprops. Man, it's been a little while since I've been on one of those, but always an exciting trip. Right. So they have a wide range of price points for, um, you know, all the regional carriers and predominantly it's Europe, uh, you know, but they have a presence all over the world. You know, their smallest region is is interesting. It's interestingly, it's it's going to be the North America. But um, when they when things first went, you know, you know, it's funny because aircraft lessors, they have an interesting situation. They make their money from. Airlines renting the aircraft and they have massive debt loads and they have to pay interest on that. And so when, you know, April 2020 and no airline is really putting planes up in the air, a lot of these airlines and this is where you really depend on the strength of your customer as opposed to the strength of your metal. Um, and, in, you know, you want them to have cash. Or what's also interesting, you want them to have maybe be operating in a government where their government gives you lots of money. Like we saw the United States give American Airlines $10 billion, you know, free and clear. 
So, well, I mean, it's also an environment too, right? Like we've had in the pandemic where your, your flyers are going to actually going to say, okay, well, let's evaluate our fleet and they're going to move to, you know, whatever the most efficient part of their fleet is and idle right. the rest. And it sounds like, uh, while I'm not familiar with the company, if they're running turboprops, they're maybe not the most efficient uh, jets available, just de- depending on what the, the passenger right. capacity is. So. Yeah, so, so, so you're, you're first off, you know, you, you've got, you've probably got a, a lot of, quote, puddle jumpers, and that that's not necessarily going to be the strategic assets that governments are going to feel like they need to keep alive. So there was a lot of the cash dried up and, you know, maybe we'll pay you, maybe we won't, you know, a lot of negotiations. Um, and it, the company did, uh, they, they, they went through an Irish scheme. Um, it's in July of 2020, where they, uh, they waived a number of defaults, they uh, deferred payments, interest payments, and principal payments. And they also um, provided uh, about two point, uh, I guess it's about two point, somewhere around $2.6 billion of uh, private placement notes that were unsecured, they gave them collateral. And then you fast forward from July 2020 to 2021, and for most of this year, they've been negotiating, and they finally uh, filed in December with this prearranged, very complicated uh, restructuring support agreement where 73% of the total, holders of 73% of the debt uh, are agreeing to support um, this restructuring. And the restructuring is pretty fascinating because uh, you have, for the most part, uh, of the $6.3 billion, $5.8 billion is secured debt. They can, each, each of those lenders is looking at specific air packages of aircraft that belong to them. And depending on the, you know, the value of that aircraft, it might be, you know, better to be part of a bigger consortium of, of uh, aircraft, you know, of lenders and, you know, hope that you can come out with, a, you know, your value. Uh, but it, it looks like what they did here is they, they allowed a lot of flexibility for lenders that if you wanted to just take your aircraft and, and do your own thing and liquidate it, you could. You could. Um, but, you know, a number of people here, even even some took their aircraft and are reorganizing around it. And it looks like there's a couple companies coming out of here. There, you know, cer- certain companies are taking their aircraft and uh, exiting with uh, another new money sponsor. Some of them are doing it through creditors and a new money sponsor. So it's, uh, I mean, a lot, a lot's going to come out. They're still, they're targeting uh, Jan 18th uh, for... I'm going to keep my eyes open for a new Air America. <laughs> <laughs> for, for those who vaguely remember the 1990 uh, action film, I think with Mel Gibson and maybe Robert Downey Jr., whoever it was. Wow, that's, that's going back. Um, <laughs> well, you know, we're not spring chickens. You might we might as well go with the throwback. Not Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hope they don't go Con Air. But uh, you it's know, it's the high, it's either, the high yield leverage finance area. It's got to be Con Air, right? <laughs> um, that was Nick Cage, right? Yes, yes. I mean, John Malkovich, if I'm re- recommending or recollecting. But anyway, sorry, go ahead. No, and, and so what they basically, you've seen the value of this aircraft go from $7 billion appraised value to $4.8 billion. Um, and they're going to be, uh, 
they they did a, most of the work up front. So I, I have a feeling this is going to have uh, a few speed bumps along the way because there's just so much debt, and there were still you know a number of facilities that were still yet to be determined. You know when the uh, company went over it in court, but uh, ultimately I I think this should be a, a fairly quick uh, bankruptcy um, again and. And, you know, it, it is interesting, um, you know, when you think about it, there, there's also a $337 million rights offering here. Um, but, you know, some of the positives here was, uh, you know, from a creditor perspective is the equity was willing to walk away. It wasn't like, uh, you know, the equities, you know, they get releases. But, um, you know, the equity here was EQS Partners, which is, a, I guess, European uh, private equity, and then GIC. Um and, you know, so they'll be wiped out uh, and the it, it makes an interesting investment because, it, you know, if you think that Omicron is going to potentially be, you know, a sharp spike now, but then, you know, we could potentially see the end of the pandemic, you know, brought forward um, that the turnaround could come sooner than later you know, maybe even time for summer, uh, you know, th- this this could be an interesting equity play. Yeah, well, I mean, and as we saw, right, I mean, there's there's obviously, as it relates to the virus, there's a fair amount of economic incentives around the, how the virus was managed, right, because I think we saw, particularly in Europe last year, heading into the holidays, the holiday season of summer and all the travel and stuff like that, you, you definitely saw some sort of reimagining of how the rules were implemented so they can make sure that they enabled a little bit of that travel piece just because you get so many economies over there that are dependent on uh you know that that holiday season but yeah so uh, so interesting one certainly one to keep a keep an eye on and, and see how that goes uh not least uh given that it's a new bankruptcy <laughs> but uh so so listen it, it is 2022 and uh you know uh it's always you know new years are always good times to sort of reflect on the year it was and obviously a pretty decent year uh for high yield and distressed overall uh as one might imagine you know certainly given the pressures elsewhere in the fixed income landscape so but but looking back looking forward we've done a little bit of that as well Maybe just kind of wrapping it up with a with a tale of woe or or excitement, you know. I'm always interested to kind of like hear, you know, what was your most, you know, like it, the best thing I ever ate on uh, Food Network for people that watch that sort of stuff. Uh, like, what was, you know, maybe, you know, as a New Year resolution, let's maybe think about what was the kind of one of the more interesting or exciting, you know, bankruptcies uh, that you've you know, kind of uh, enjoyed in your long or enjoyed maybe isn't the right word, but <laughs> that you've experienced, you know, in sort of your many years uh, and doing this stuff. Yeah. So I, uh, I always think it's, you know, when I think of the bookends, uh, you know, the, the, the good times and the bad times, I mean, um, one of the, one of the worst uh, bankruptcy experiences I had was a, uh, working at a situation it was called a uh, hard rock park in myrtle beach and th- that was uh it was i i think you know when we talked to a uh, amusement park consultant they, they they basically said uh if you asked me of all the places to build an amusement park where would the last place you'd build one be and i probably would have pointed you to myrtle, myrtle beach and then we said and then if you told me in myrtle beach where would the last place you'd want to 
build an amusement park. And he said, probably right where Hard Rock Myrtle Beach was. And so um, this was a uh, an amusement park that lasted uh, all of one summer, um, you know, and, uh, you know, we did have someone go down there and ride some roller coasters and come back and tell us how it was. <laughs> um, but, I mean, to give you some perspective, I think three to four hundred million dollars was raised um, off of the real estate value. You know, that's where the equ equity was contributed in the form of uh, real estate. And that real estate equi equity valuation was much higher than it actually really ever could have been. And um, anyway, 400 million, th call it three to four hundred million dollars of debt. And then like literally we as lenders didn't even view it as a, you know, something that we wanted to participate in and reinvest in. So we literally just sold it at auction. Um, this was an auction where no one really even showed up. And we just, we literally had, um, you know, a handful of people who were just buying it. I, I think it went for $27 million. It was, like wow. a, it was a pretty, and th I think that just covered, the working capital facility. It was, it was, it was a pretty horrific, uh, outcome. I mean, literally, uh, the dip there was just to get it to through the auction process. So that, that was one of the all time worst, uh, outcomes. The, um, probably, and, you know, also an auction was a great outcome was, uh, we had a, um, what do you call it? A, a satellite we, and a protostar. It was like a satellite. And, uh, we went into auction and we couldn't, when we went in, for auctions, when you go into a bankruptcy auction, you really want to have a stalking horse bid. Someone to just sort of say, here's the base level that you have to get better than. And you'll, you're willing to pay for some, you pay for some certainty um, by, you know, giving them a stalking horse, you know, a fee and that sort of thing. We couldn't even find someone to give a stalking horse fee for, for this. So it was a, it was a, it was an auction without a buyer at, you know, right beforehand. And, uh, but it was a true auction and we did have, you know, some significant bidders and, uh, the, the price did get, I mean, literally, um, where we were trying to get a stalking horse bid, we sold it for roughly twice that amount. So oh. that was, that was, that was a tremendous, uh, uh, outcome. And like being on eBay, right? Sometimes you need to start that initial bid low if you want to get a high price in the end. You start out with a high initial bid. Nobody's going to get to it. I assure you it's the same dynamics <laughs> <laughs> that you'll find. You can, you can probably find the same satellite online today. But it is uh, kind of funny because the two, like, the, I remember the two Intelsat and Utelsat were actually bidding at bidding for this uh, for this satellite. So it's like... So there you go. Our, it's our interesting. We've got full today, yeah, full circle. I was just going to say that. We've got full circle. It started there Intelsat, finished there Intelsat. With that, what better way to sort of start off the new year uh, with a little taste of distress? Hopefully, uh, all of our listeners are leaving fully sated and satisfied uh, and ready to rejoin us for the February edition when that comes out in about a month's time. With that, a proper and prosperous and happy new year to all. And uh, we will see you on the flip. 